The Bucks take a 2-1 lead over the Boston Celtics in their NBA Eastern Conference semifinal matchup. The Brewers, well, they drop a series to the Braves. We get one of the most epic upsets in sports over the last century and more coming up on today's edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. Let's go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in, everyone. I'm Don Wachillis, and thank you for logging in and joining us here on the 414 Sports Podcast on this Monday. As we noted in the intro, we're going to be talking momentarily here about the Bucs and the Celtics as the Bucs get a really nice win at home on Saturday, getting ready for Game 4 here tonight at the Pfizer Forum. We'll get into some of the other games taking place within the NBA playoffs because it's been a really fun series to watch to this date. We'll get into the Brewers and the Braves and the Brewers dropping a series there and what impact that has on the Milwaukee Brewers a little bit later. We'll also talk about one of the epic upsets in all of sport, which took place on Saturday in the Kentucky Derby. And of course, like we always do, we'll wrap things up with a moment with Giannis. Before we get into the NBA playoffs and specifically the Milwaukee Bucks, later in the week we're going to talk some NFL once again as the NFL this week will be releasing its 2022 schedule. Now, par for the course, the NFL is by far one of the best marketing organizations you'll find anywhere. The NFL, as we've said time and time again, finds a way to stay relevant for the entire 12 months of the year, obviously 12 months a year, but they stay relevant throughout those 12 months by doing things that keep their organization in the news. And so this week now we're getting the schedule for the upcoming season. And of course, the NFL is just not going to post it. The NFL is going to make announcements and reveal a little and a little and a little as the week goes on to keep people enticed, to keep people tuning in. So this morning, one of the announcements will be it's Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, who will be the new Monday night team for ESPN on Good Morning America, talking about a doubleheader on one of the Mondays this year in which ESPN will have a game and then ABC will have a game. So you get back-to-back NFL on a Monday night. So that's being introduced today at some point. And as I said, the rest of the schedule as the week goes on, So when we get later in the week, we'll take a look at that NFL schedule and we'll obviously really focus in on the Green Bay Packers. But back to the story at hand, and that's the Milwaukee Bucks as they get ready, continually trying to defend that NBA championship and look for a back-to-back championship banner to hang in the Pfizer Forum. They get past 
the Boston Celtics on Saturday, 103-101. They take a 2-1 lead in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Giannis was Giannis. Giannis was absolutely spectacular, but so was Drew Holiday. And so with us missing Chris Middleton, we're going to need, as we've seen, others step up. Giannis is going to be Giannis. Giannis is just, he he's too much of a power not to get his points, his rebounds, his assists, you name it, Giannis is going to be Giannis. So we've had to have stages and and games in which, you know, Bobby Portis has done it, Drew Holiday has done it. You, you can go right down the list of players, and in some cases role players for the Bucs, who have had to step up and fill the void that Chris Middleton is leaving with the players on the court because of his knee injury. And so Drew Holiday came in and hit a big shot towards the end of that game. There was just over 11 seconds remaining when he picked up a ball that he lost making his way into the paint and kind of teardropped it through to give the Bucks the lead. Now, of course, the story is going to be the fact that Marcus Smart was fouled at the end of the game above the arc, tried to make it look like he was shooting. The referees said he was on the ground, and so the way the rule stands now, that's a two-shot as opposed to a three-shot, and that sent the Twitterverse and Boston fans and some other NBA fans into a tizzy. Why did they go into a tizzy? In my opinion, in my humble opinion, the national narrative right now is all about Boston. The national narrative, the national media has fallen in love with the Boston Celtics, and there's really nothing wrong with that. Boston Celtics are a really good team, and this has been a really fun series to watch. And you don't see some of the, uh, the the I hate to call it illegal play, but some of the dirty play that has taken place in some of the other series. You're not necessarily seeing that. You're seeing some hard fouls. You're seeing a couple of um, a couple of question marks as far as people diving for balls and such. But there's a there's a mutual respect between these two teams as they continue to move forward that you just don't see, let's say, with uh, Memphis and Golden State. It, it doesn't have that feel to it. But the national media has really fallen in love with the Boston Celtics, and you can see it when you watch the national broadcast or when you watch certain shows on the national stage when it comes to this series. Hubie Brown, the color commentator who's been doing it since the 80s, been around forever, does a really good job. There were points even in the game on Saturday where he outwardly apologized and essentially said, you know, we should really be talking about the Bucks and the style of defense they're playing, especially in that third quarter when they jumped out to that big lead, that double-digit lead. We should really be talking about the Milwaukee Bucks and the job they're doing because he realized in the midst of his commentating that all they were doing was talking about Boston. When it went back to the ABC slash ESPN studios, what did, outside of Jalen Rose, and that pains me, Jalen Rose is a Michigan guy, outside of Jalen Rose, everybody was talking about Boston. Michael Wilbon, oh, I can't believe what Giannis gets away with. Stephen A. Smith, I'm not ready to crown Giannis this, that. It's all about Bo- if Boston, if Boston, if Boston. The national narrative has shown a lack of respect on certain shows, not all, but on certain shows with regards to our beloved Bucks team. And may I add, the reigning NBA champions. 
And so that lack of respect sometimes gets a little bit infuriating if you're a fan and you're watching the game. Skip Bayless threw some stuff out on Twitter. He wants Giannis to spend it. I'm not even getting into that. Because if I got into a Skip Bayless rant, you guys would be turning this podcast podcast off sooner than later because it would go on forever. Talk about an individual who's become a character of himself. Hello, Skip Bayless. So Skip Bayless, thank you for your tweets. Thank you for your rambling show on Fox. God bless. Good luck. And I, I, I have nothing to say because it will take way too long and we don't have that type of time. Now, if you're a Boston fan, you're looking at that game on Saturday saying that the refs cost us. The refs cost us because Marcus Smart was in the act of shooting. That's three free throws. That should have been it right there. We could have won that game right there. But I'll say this before I get into the stat I want to throw out. Give Marcus Smart a lot of credit. He makes the first free throw. He does what a lot of players try to do in a situation like we saw on Saturday in which you got to just throw it up. Hopefully it hits the rim. One of your players gets it. You get a putback. And he did exactly that. Boston had three opportunities. Unfortunately for them, the third opportunity was Al Horford, and it just didn't leave his fingertips in time as the buzzer sounded. Thankfully, as a Bucks fan, I guess unthankfully, <laughs> if you're a Boston fan. But if you're watching Twitter, if you're going through social media as the game is going, there were so many narratives out there in 140 characters or less talking about how the refs were trying to give the Bucks the game. The game for the Bucks was won on Saturday in the paint. They outscored Boston by 20 in the paint. So if, if you're a, a frustrated Celtics fan, the first thing you got to look for is better play in the paint, on the block, by that Boston Celtic team because Milwaukee owned the lane and outscored by 20. Now, if you're a Bucks fan, they're still concerned there. You outscored Boston by 20 and still only won by one, which means what? You had people like Al Horford with the absence of a Jason Tatum who shot horrendously in game three, you had somebody like Al Horford on the perimeter looking like Brooke Lopez shooting threes and hitting him and keeping Boston in the game. So somehow, not only do you have to continue to dominate the paint if you're Milwaukee, you're going to have to figure out how to get a hand out there in Al Horford's face because if he's left open, he's dropping threes. Jason Tatum is not going to be Jason Tatum on Saturday tonight. Jason Tatum is too good of a basketball player. He will respond tonight. So you're going to have to figure out how to defend that as well. Obviously, a big task. We saw what happened in Boston. Bucks played unbelievably well in game one, kind of threw that first punch, and then Boston answered in game two with a counterpunch. Now we've got a couple here at the Pfizer Forum. The Bucks win game one. Now, can they continue to press? Or will Boston counterpunch? Obviously, that will be the question going into tonight's game. But here is the stat that I think just absolutely obliterates Boston fans who thought the refs were on the side of Milwaukee. The Bucs were called for 26 fouls, Boston 20. So six more fouls called against Milwaukee than the Boston Celtics. Boston shot 17 more free throws 
than the Milwaukee Bucks. They were on the line 17 more times shooting free throws than the Milwaukee Bucks. So if I'm a Boston Celtic fan, I guess, yeah, I understand being frustrated. I understand the frustration of losing a close game in which you could have really stole one at Fiserv on Saturday. But if you get better production in the paint, if you take care of your free throws, obviously shooting 17 more than Milwaukee, I think the narrative of the refs favoring the home team kind of goes out the window. The stats don't show it. If anything, and you've seen John Horace, the GM for the Milwaukee Bucks, in an article published in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, really come out and say, listen, if if we're really going to talk about things, the stats, the analytics, all the numbers indicate that really Milwaukee got screwed a little bit on Saturday because of the fact that Boston was sent to the line at a far greater rate than what the Milwaukee Bucks were. So it's going to be interesting to see how, A, the game is called this evening, B, can a Jason Tatum respond after what was, at least for him, a really horrific game, and for Boston, he's a much better player than what we saw on Saturday, so how will he respond? How many times will Marcus Smart flop on the floor? He spends more time flopping on the floor than anybody I can remember as of late. And many a times those flops come as Giannis is making his way to the basket, and then, you know, people are screaming Giannis gets away with this, that, and the other thing. But take a look at what Giannis endures when he's down on the block and how they're punishing him. So you want to call some things against Giannis? Okay, fine. But then you better reciprocate and call the mess that they're doing to him on the post when he's trying to get the basketball or he's setting up defensively, whatever the case may be, you better return the favor. So that, I think, will make life very, very interesting as we make our way into game four. Once again, tonight, Pfizer Forum 630 will be the opening tip. An important game four because if the Bucks can get this one, that puts them up 3-1 in the series and then only needing to win one down the stretch would give, obviously, the Bucks an opportunity to head to the Eastern Conference Finals and await the winner of Miami and Philadelphia, who are now tied at two. So let's take a quick break. Now on the other side of the break, let's look at some of the other matchups in and around the NBA playoffs as they stand today as we make our way through this Monday edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. We're back in just a sec. <laughs> All right, let's make our way around the NBA playoffs right now. Phoenix and Dallas are all tied up at two as Dallas has responded at home in tying the series up. They get a 10-point win yesterday over Phoenix, and I'm sure the storyline for many yesterday was the fact that Chris Paul fouled out of that game. That was probably one of his worst playoff performances in a long, 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 long time, if not ever. And so that set the stage for Dallas to really secure that 10-point victory and tie things up at two. One of the other storylines is it seems as if there was some uh, 
uh, bad fan behavior, I think is a very polite way to say it, uh, in Dallas with regards to Chris Paul's family. So watch those storylines as it evolves throughout the course of this Monday. I mean, I, I get fans, hey, listen, we're passionate. We love to see our teams win. We see John Morant's dad you know, showing up at all these games, and I think he would be a great one to kind of jaw back and forth with. But do we do we need to always have to take things and knock these barriers down and, and, and forget about what fan behavior is? There's nothing wrong with being passionate. There's nothing wrong with supporting your team. But time and time again as of late, we keep seeing fans go to a level that it doesn't need to go to. And if what happened on Sunday kind of comes out the way it's being reported where a fan pushed um, Chris Paul's wife and kids or, or however this plays out. I mean, it's just not necessary. Have, have a little bit of respect in the midst of joy. I mean, those are his kids. It's different when we're talking about his kids and then maybe, let's say, a John Morant's dad. I mean, John Morant's dad is a grown man. He can handle a little back and forth. We're talking about a wife and kids. That something something's not right there. So hopefully, uh, Dallas, in in which their security resides, will will look into it and hopefully do something better when the series finds its way back into that fair city. Also, Philadelphia and Miami knotted up at two since Joel Embiid's return. Philadelphia has found another level of play, and now with their eight point win last night have tied things up at two. I'll tell you this. If I am Philadelphia, the hardest thing right now is James Harden had a game last night. James Harden had one of those games I think that many around the country, especially Philadelphia, thought he would be doing on a regular basis. He felt it last night. Like a shooter, when a shooter is on, a shooter is on, and that's exactly what he was. And you mix in uh, his assists last night, the way he was moving the basketball, that's the James Harden of old. That's the James Harden that was on the side of milk cartons for the last few games because he was missing. That was not James Harden that we had seen at least the first two games of this Miami series. What we got in game four, I think, is what many around the league and many in Philadelphia had thought they were going to get when they got rid of a disgruntled Ben Simmons. James Harden, though, has not been able to do what he did last night consistently this year, and his track record over the playoffs is similar, where he has games here and there, but once we get into playoff time, it's not what we see essentially from a statistical standpoint that we get in the regular season. And now James Harden's one of those that when the year is done, it's contract time. Does Philadelphia back up the Brinks truck in order to keep James Harden. And all you need now is a James Harden to get hot and play a couple of games here in this series and maybe help the team advance and get a couple of more good games, so to speak, in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then Philadelphia is going to have to think about backing the Brinks truck up. What a mess that will be for the GM in Philadelphia. What a mess. Because you've got a guy now who has been inconsistent at best that you want to pay a ton of money who's played with how many different teams in the last two years because he seemingly is disgruntled. 
That that to me is a headache I would not want to deal with. And they got rid of a headache in Ben Simmons, who's now a headache for the Brooklyn Nets and what they're doing out there. But you've got one. You inherited a different kind of headache in James Harden. Now, for a Bucks fan like myself, I, I'm hoping James Harden goes off these next couple of games and puts Miami away because I'd much rather play Philadelphia than I would Miami, even though I think the Bucks are in a better predicament, in better shape as far as player personnel goes against either of those teams. But I think I would rather play Philadelphia than I would Miami, especially with the Chris Middleton coming back. And that's all under the assumption, obviously, that the Bucks can get past Boston. And that series, I think, will at least go six, if not seven. On the other side of things, Golden State and Memphis. John Morant, unfortunately, injured uh, on a play, a uh, trap play up at the top of the key. Jordan Poole uh, going after the ball, grabbed his knee. It, it it didn't appear, and even in the replays, doesn't appear to be, I, I couldn't call it serious as much as people want to make it out to be. Why it's serious is because John Morant has an injured knee now, and he's questionable for their next game uh, with Golden State. And Golden State basically came out and showed the young guys what championship basketball is all about. Memphis getting that game two win at home could have actually had game one could have really gone into San Francisco and been up to nothing but instead they got that second game went in tied at one and Golden State just showed why Golden State has pretty much had a basketball dynasty over the last seven eight nine years that team just took it to another level and kind of showed the young guns, what playoff basketball is all about. Now, John Moran has been injured at times throughout the season, and quite honestly, the record of the Memphis Grizzlies has been pretty remarkable when John Moran has not been on the floor. So it's not to say that without John Moran, you don't give the Memphis Grizzlies a chance. You do give them a chance because they've shown, at least in the regular season, the ability to win without their star but it's the playoffs. You want your stars on the floor, so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out here over the next couple of days. One of the things I want to do later in the week, talking about Jordan Poole, watching these playoffs, think about how many players have Milwaukee ties. So Jordan Poole, a graduate of Rufus King High School here in Milwaukee. You can go down the line and look at how many connections there are, whether it's at the high school level, the collegiate level, and of course, we'll we'll grab anybody who's played for the Bucks and consider them our own as well. Just to take some playoff basketball in a couple of days on one of the later podcasts and just run down some of the players that have been a part or have had ties to the Milwaukee area. It, it's pretty astounding when you start to, when you start to look at things like that. All right, let's slide now and move into baseball as the Brewers struggled a little bit against the Atlanta Braves. Let's talk about that series what implications it has, and as they get ready, hopefully, to get healthy once again on the Cincinnati Reds, we'll do so on the other side of this.
All right, let's slide into baseball. See what I did there? Slide into baseball. All right. <laughs> With the Milwaukee Brewers, they lose the series matchup against the Braves yesterday, falling to the Braves 9-2. to The Braves found their offense. The Brewers still looking for theirs on a consistent level. The other day against the Reds, when they busted out 18 and followed it up with 10, scoring 28 runs in two games, you thought maybe. And then in that opening uh, series game against the Braves, putting six on the board, you had hoped for a little bit better. But one thing for certain was the fact that the Braves had a bullpen game on Friday because of how the scheduling was, and the Brewers capitalized on it. What you take away from this weekend is the fact that the Brewers are a really good team, but Atlanta's just a little bit better. So as the course of this season goes, Atlanta showed at least this weekend that they still are the reigning Major League Baseball World Series champions and and have shown why, much like much like the Bucks have shown why and, and that whole tirade I was on there just a moment ago. I mean, it, Atlanta has shown that they deserve the respect in how they played this weekend against a really good Milwaukee Brewer team. This is only the second series so far. Now we're into May. Only the second series that the Brewers have lost. And I'm not counting the one-game series against the San Francisco Giants, one of those scheduling quirks because of the strike that they lost to San Francisco. Obviously, that's what I just got done talking about. But if we're talking about multiple games, it's only the second series. So you lose the opening series to the Cubs. You get a split somewhere in the middle of the month of April. And now the loss to the Braves, as far as a series goes, it's only your second one. So if I'm the Brewers, I got to be pleased with how the season is progressing. You got to be pleased with the pitching. Defensively, there were some things on Saturday night that could have been better. There were some errors, I think, that may have cost them in the long run in in losing 3-2 to two on Saturday. It got blown out of the water on Sunday. But now you head over to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is just an awful team. There's no other way to say it. They, they, they are being put together, in my mind, if you hearken back in the day when the movie Major League was out, and remember the owner was trying to put together a team as abysmal as possible, so that they could move out of Cleveland and then they, you know, were inspired and, you know, the underdog story in the whole nine yards. But that's what Cincinnati reminds me of other than the underdog story. This is just a team that has been put together to save costs. Like it it's a team that has been put on the field that helping the front office be financially solvent for whatever they plan on doing here in the near future because it's not going to be this year. So the Brewers need to take advantage of this once again and get healthy as they have a three-game set on the road in Cincinnati. 5.40 first pitch this evening, 5.40 first pitch tomorrow, and then it's a businessman special in Cincinnati on Wednesday for an 11.35 first pitch, and then they go to Florida to take on the Marlins for three, and then it's back here in Milwaukee on Monday the 14th. Check that. I'm sorry. Monday the 16th, and the Braves now will be in town. And if I'm not mistaken, after they play the Braves at home, that's it for the year. I think as far as the scheduling gods go, I think that's the only time now 
will get A, the Braves at home, but it'll be the last time Milwaukee has an opportunity to see how they fare up. And granted, it's still early in the season with just a ton of baseball to be played, but I think it's one of those benchmarks in this marathon of the Major League Baseball schedule that you want to look at and see how they fare against the reigning World Series champions and how you match up moving forward. Will both teams have a lot, again, of baseball to play? Of course. There's a ton of baseball to be played, and both teams will find injuries. Um, they'll find success in in the in winning streaks and losing streaks, which is not really success, but you get where I'm going with this with the rest of the season. But the benchmark being there on Monday, May 16th, a three-game series in which the Braves come to American Family Field, and they'll follow that up with a series against the Washington Nationals before heading back on the road. So let's hope the Brewers tonight can find their bats and get themselves healthy against the Cincinnati Reds. On the other side of this timeout, we had one of the greatest upsets in maybe the last hundred years in the world of sports. We'll get to it in just a sec. All right, so I know absolutely nothing about horse racing. I I wouldn't talk about horse racing on this podcast had it not been for maybe a blurb and say, the winner of the Kentucky Derby on Saturday, first leg of the Triple Crown, yada, 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 go from there. But Saturday, we had one of the biggest upsets in all of sport. And as I said, I'm sure you would have to go back maybe 100 years to find anything to talk about. Maybe, you know, if we went back to 1980 and we talked about the USA hockey team, maybe that gets into the conversation. But when we're talking about upsets, Saturday, Kentucky Derby, Rich Strike was a horse that was not even entered in the Derby as of Friday morning, but due to a withdrawal, found itself being entered, was an 80-to-1 shot and won the thing. 80-to-1. You know somebody put 10 bucks on an 80-to-1 shot for you-know-what and giggles and came away with a nice piece of change to put back into their pocket. So Rich Strike was in the 17th position going into the final turn and then just obliterated the field coming from that spot to the front to win the first leg of the Triple Crown. The problem I have, and this is a product of today's sporting world, is my initial reaction wasn't necessarily, holy cow, you had an 80-1 to shot win the Derby. My first reaction was, something ain't right. Something's not right. Like, what? what is it? What are we going to find? Something is not right. And I used that mindset through all of the interviews with the trainer and the jockey and everything else. I'm like, something's just not right. Nothing's been proven, but that more or less is the mindset, I think, now because of the different things that we've experienced as sport fans with regards to our favorite teams or athletes. 
that you get a long shot like this where your first reaction is something's not right. So we'll wait and see. I hope I'm wrong. I hope this goes down in history as one of the great long shot winners in horse racing. I hope in 10 years Disney's making a movie about Rich Strike and whatever Rich Strike had to do to get to the Derby. I hope that all comes to fruition. But I guarantee you my first reaction was, Something ain't right. All right, let's get to a break, and we'll come back and get ready to close things out with a moment of Giannis. All right, so as we get ready to wrap things up here for this Monday edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. I want to thank you so much for logging in and joining us. Hit that like, subscribe button. We would graciously appreciate it, he says five times fast. As we get into our moment with Giannis, Giannis at the press conference on Saturday was asked about the physicality as far as his play in the paint and the low post and what the refs were calling and weren't calling And did he have any commentary with regards to it? And what we got was a typical Giannis reaction. So enjoy a moment with Giannis. We'll talk to you later in the week. I'm Don Wachillis. Take care. Uh, How much does it cost if I uh, say something, a comment about the ref? Is it 20000 It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So I should not do it. I will do it. I save my money. i got to pay for diapers. Uh, (laughs) I just gotta play through.